Second Chronicles chapter 7. And as we read through this passage, and I hope you took some time to look at it and read it, when you look at this passage, everything is good. The people of God were in a good place. They were excited. God's house is finished. Fasting, sacrifices, offerings, everything was good. And in that moment, God chooses to give a recipe for revival. Not on accident. When things are not good, we need God. But when things are going good, we think we got it. Unfortunately, for some, you need tragedy in your life. And I love you. But there's some of you that have floated so long, you need something to wake you up. And God here in this moment when everything is good, he says, if I shut up heaven that there be no rain, or if I command the locusts to devour the land, or if I send pestilence among my people. Now, why would he do that? He would do that to get them to look heavenward. Right? And then he tells them how to get it right. We have, we have experienced in America so much blessing that even in our hard times, we are affluent. Even in a time where we may be going through health or financial struggles or different scenarios, family relationships. We, we have been, we have had it so good on so many levels that we can add God to our life instead of us revolving our life around him. And tonight, I want us to just sort of draw a circle around ourselves, Not around somebody else. Don't think, yeah, this person right there, Brother Josh needs this. <laughs> Your wife is shaking her head pretty, uh, pretty uh, uh, confidently there. All right. Don't think about Brother Tracy, though he needs it. No, it's all of us. I want us just to look at our own life. Let's be honest where we're at. Because America is not going to have revival until God's people have revival. The church is not going to have revival until the church members have revival. You know, the world is not our problem. We are. 
The Lord said, if my people shall humble themselves and pray. In this, this chapter, we can see some great theme, themes of the Bible. We can see the sovereignty of God. We can see the omniscience and the omnipotence of God. We can see the will of God. We can see the people of God. We can see the house of God. All of these things are encompassed in this chapter, and uh, we get to sort of see it summed up. But we see that recipe for revival here in this passage. And revival, what does that even mean? What impacts would its presence have in my life? Think about that. What impact would revival have in my life? What implications would, it, would its absence have in my life? So in this time, in this hour, in this day, there's no greater, greater need than uh, that we have than for revival. They say that uh, revival, uh, it is a Protestant or basically a Protestant uh, belief. Uh, it's, not, it's not promoted in all denominations across the board, uh, but we are not Protestant, Amen. Uh, the Protestants are those that came out of the Catholic Church. Uh, we were never a part of uh, the Catholic Church uh, because, because of that, we're not Protestant. We usually get counted as that. Uh, but we are categorized uh, as Protestants by the world. Uh, but that's why the Protestant religions have so many similarities to Catholicism is because they came out for mama. They came out from the Catholic Church, and so uh, they've hung on to a lot of, uh, of the, of the, uh, the uh, ideologies and uh, belief systems there. Uh, but our, as Baptists, our heritage our, is by doctrinal succession, not by denominational succession. But the great emphasis uh, on revival, uh, they say that if you were to look at the different denominations, uh, and historically, the Baptists were always those that promoted, preached, taught uh, uh, the, the, uh, uh, the importance of revival. Then it was the Methodists, the Holiness crowd, the Pentecostals, and then it went into the Lutherans and Episcopalians. But revival is something that we believe in, and it's the result of God's people humbling themselves before a holy God and following his, his recipe. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. Tonight I want to speak to you on the subject the big if of revival. The big if of revival. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Thank you for your word. Thank you for our people being here tonight, for those that are tuned in online, and I pray that the Holy Spirit of God would meet with us. And Lord, as we look at this need for revival, uh, Lord, it should stir our hearts. It should challenge us. It should uh, cause us to desire uh, to be closer to you. And so I pray that you would just work now in our midst. For Christ's sake, I pray. Amen. 
So as we, we look at revival tonight, you're in church because you want to you wanna be closer to the Lord. Amen? So don't feel like I'm attacking you tonight. All right? This isn't, this isn't against you. This is for us all. This is not a message that I am preaching at you because I have arrived, because I have not arrived. And I believe that God, I need revival in my own soul as well. And I think all of us can be helped. So take down that little wall, because some of you, I can see a wall already there. Uh, as though you are uh, setting for uh, some defense, uh, trying to protect yourself in self-preservation mode. And, and that's not what I, this is not a message to attack. This is a message to challenge all of us to be in a place where God could meet with us and give us revival. Uh, that it would get us to a place where we would be a vessel where he could work in our lives in a great and wonderful way. So, uh, so as we look at this, the big if of revival, you know, there are a lot of ifs in life, aren't there? Before dating, it was, I wonder if she likes me. You know, I never asked a girl out if I didn't know she was going to say yes before I asked her. I wasn't being humiliated. There was no way. So so what happened? I didn't ask some girls out that I wanted to ask out because I didn't want to get rejected. There are ifs in life. What if? I don't know if I should buy this car. There are some people right now that are right in that process of getting a vehicle. I don't know if this is the right one. I wonder if I should change jobs. I wonder if I should move to Oregon. No. <laughs> My notes say Idaho, but I'm shifting gears here. <laughs> I wonder if I should move to a red or to a red state. I wonder if I should ask for a raise. I wonder if, if, if. Life has a lot of ifs. We deal with them all the time. And God presents us with an if when it comes to this thing called revival. You use an if in a conditional statement to introduce a circumstance or event or situation that might happen. And God here has done exactly that. He has started this verse with that if. Charles G. Finney said this, When the church finds its members falling into gross and scandalous sins, then it is time for the church to awake and to cry to God for revival of religion. You know, I don't know what's going on in everybody's lives, but I do believe that God wants to clean his church up. I do believe that there is a need, a revival of holiness in God's people's life. This right here has become such a vice 
to so many people. It has become a vice to fill our minds for some, the filth of the immoral what is here. For others, it is the negativity. We have have allowed the world to, we, we invite the world into our mind. And we need, we need a revival. We need a revival in our own personal lives. And so tonight we're going to look at several things about this big if of revival. Number one, it's conditional. If my people. Revival, there's a condition. And God gives us the opportunity to enter into this and to have something. But, but with this, it is conditional. He says, if. He says, if you do this, then I will do this. Uh, there's a condition that is there. You know, uh, that is something that we have to recognize. God has the right to put conditions on us. He has the right. And we shouldn't fight with that right. That should not be that should not be something that that makes me upset or offends me. I shouldn't be offended that God would have expectations on me. You know, I, I wasn't offended that my parents had expectations on me. My kids I hope they weren't offended, but I did have expectations on them, and I still do. Uh, And that shouldn't be offensive. God has has expectations for us. And with that, uh, he says, if you want my blessings, there are some things that I want you to do. And he said, if my people, which are called by my name. uh, So it's conditional. Uh, I'm amazed by uh, parents who let their kids make some of the choices that they make. And I sit back and I just wonder, what are are they thinking? But, but the reality is, I'm fallible. So they can make those decisions, and I can be completely wrong, and they can be fine with that, and it's not a problem at all. But with God, He is infallible. And for His children, He has expectations on us. And he has put some some conditions here. And God, who is infallible, he cannot fail. He cannot be wrong. He cannot be in error. He lets us choose whether or not we will allow him to work in and through us. Isn't that amazing? That God lets us. Put that condition on him. God lets us make that decision. He puts the condition there, but he allows us uh, to make that decision. It is conditional. Uh, And so this this revival, the big if of revival, uh, if my people, uh, which are called by name. So number one, it's conditional. Number two, it requires humility. 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 You know, we need to be humble. Lester Roloff said this, you can quickly get too big for God, but you can never get too small. You can quickly become too big for God, 
but you can never be too small. You see, he said, if my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves. This humility, it's to make low. And God hates pride. It's not that he dislikes it. He hates it. Why is it that we don't submit to him? Pride. Now, it is amazing when we think about this, we never think it's us. Why would we not think it's us? Right. Well, I'm, I'm meek, I'm quiet. That doesn't mean that you're not proud. I'm bashful. That doesn't mean that you're not proud. The, the person that is proud isn't necessarily the one that is out front and boisterous or uh, has the, uh, the energetic uh, personality. Just because that, that person has that doesn't mean that they are proud. And, and it doesn't mean that the shy person is not proud. Why is it the shy person wants to stay in the background? Why is it that the shy person doesn't want to sing. Because I'm afraid I might not, people might think I don't sound good. That's called, what was that called? I'm sorry, I couldn't hear you. Yeah, pride. You see, all of us have pride. And God here, he's telling us to humble ourselves. It requires humility. If my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves. God hates pride. Take your Bibles. Go to uh, Proverbs chapter 6. Proverbs chapter 6. Hold your place in in Chronicles because we're coming back. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse number 16. Proverbs chapter 6 and verse 16. The Bible says, these six things that the Lord hate, yea, seven are abomination unto him. What's that first one? What was that first one? A proud look. Not a proudful statement. Not an arrogant remark. A proud look. A proud look is one that looks at somebody else and looks them up and down. A proud look is one that looks at somebody else and lowers them in estimation, raises self. Proud look. Just that arrogance. We aren't anybody special. 
I don't care how many degrees we have behind our name. I don't care how much money we have in the bank. I don't care how much, uh, how much influence you have in the workplace, how high you climb on the ladder. None of that matters. God hates pride. Now, just because you're successful doesn't mean that that's bad. Success is good. God blesses. Promotion cometh of the Lord. But also, that doesn't mean that we should get proud because of it. So he said, these six things doth the Lord hate, yea, seven are an abomination unto him, a proud look, a lying tongue, and hands that shed innocent blood, and heart that deviseth wicked imaginations, feet that be swift in running to mischief, uh, a false witness that speaketh lies, and he that soweth discord among the brethren. God hates these things, but the first thing that he mentioned was pride. Uh, go to Psalm 101, I'm sorry, Psalm 10 and verse 4. Psalm 10. So just go to the left there, Psalm 10. And verse number 4, Psalm 10, verse number 4, the Bible says, The wicked, through the pride of his countenance, will not seek after God. God is not in all his thoughts. God is not in all his thoughts. We need to make room for God in our life. We've got to empty ourselves of self. And we have so much of us that we don't have much room for him. So here we look at the big, the big if. <clears throat> Number one, it's conditional. Number two, it requires humility. Number three, it requires prayer. It requires prayer. Go back to 2 Chronicles chapter 7. 2 Chronicles chapter 7 verse 14. If my people which are called by my name shall humble themselves and pray. We talked about that this morning. I was going to preach this this morning and preach on prayer tonight and I needed to reverse that. But here what we find is God's people need to pray. It is a prerequisite for revival. And we're not talking about, Lord, thank you for the food, amen. We're not talking about we gather in the house of God and we open up in prayer or we have an invitation and we pray. Those are not bad, but here the Lord is talking about prayer that we individually, if my people, will humble themselves and pray. What would happen if every one of us spent 10 minutes in prayer every day for the bus routes this next week for the care home ministry this next week for the music 
for the preaching, for the Sunday school. And we prayed for our missionaries. And we prayed for the lost to come. We prayed for the soul winning outreach. What would happen? You know what would happen? We would see a lot of people getting saved. We would see a lot of fruit. We'd see God working. Why? Is it because he's not working? Uh, God is always working, but we're not always on board. I would hate to know how much prayer went into this service before you walked in the doors. Or was it even a thought? Was it even a thought of, God, I'm coming to church, meet with you tonight. We're going to sing the songs of God and we're going to be with the people of God. There are people that need encouragement. There are people that are there that are struggling. Spiritual warfare that we don't know anything about. Help me to be a blessing to them. Pastor's prepared and there's a message going to come. Spirit of God, work in my heart. I wonder how much we limit God. Because we're not even, we're not even prepared to meet with him. So here we need to we need to pray. He said, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. You see, he said, he said here, and seek my face. Number four, it requires a heart to seek God. A heart to seek God. You know, when we think about the passages of Scripture and the, the Word of God where people are drawing towards God. Uh, 1 Samuel 13 and verse 14, uh, the Bible says, But now thy kingdom shall not continue. The Lord hath sought him a man after his own heart. And the Lord hath commanded him to be captain over his people because thou hast not kept that which the Lord uh, commanded thee. Talking about Saul. And Saul is no longer going to be king and God is now setting uh, Saul aside and he is looking for a man that is seeking him. He's looking for a man after his own heart. You know what God's looking for? His people. To want to be close to him. Acts, Acts chapter 13 and verse 22, the Bible says, And when he had removed him, he raised up unto them David to be their king, to whom also he gave testimony and said, I have found David, the son of Jesse, a man after mine own heart, which shall fulfill all my will. Now notice, this is after David, this is New Testament. Old Testament, David had some problems, didn't he? He had some problems. He had some moral failures. He, he murdered somebody, not just talking about those that died in battle. Uh, he murdered Uriah the Hittite. 
It was called evil. And, and what do we find? We find that David, though, even in the New Testament, God looks back at David because David got things right. What do you find? You find God looking at David and saying, he was a man after my own heart. God wants us to seek him. Uh, if my people, which are called by my name, shall humble themselves and pray and seek my face. Go to Psalm 42. Psalm 42. Psalm 42, verse number 1. Psalm 42, 1. The Bible says, As the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He's saying, as, as the deer is, is desiring, the, the deer as they are running and they are thirsty, as they are desiring that water, as the heart panteth after the water brooks, so panteth my soul after thee, O God. He said, if my people seek my face. Verse number five the big if, big if of revival, it takes repentance. Repentance. He said, if they will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways. Turn from their wicked ways. What is it that God is not pleased with in our life? There's something in all of our lives that the Lord's not pleased with. Everybody. Why? Because we are sinners. And here he said that if they will turn from their wicked ways... Then will I hear from heaven, will forgive their sin, and will heal their land. So we see repentance. Admitting that you did wrong is not repentance. There are people that get caught. Okay, I did wrong. That doesn't mean that they repented. Getting caught doesn't mean that you've repented. Paying the consequence doesn't mean that you have repented. Repentance is a change of heart, mind, and direction. Say, Pastor, you don't know whether somebody repents or not. Repentance is visible, it's visible. You can see it. If you can't see it, you're not spiritual. Repentance is visible. You can see it in somebody's life when they get things right. Take your Bibles, go to Psalm 51. Psalm 51. When you get to Psalm 51, this is the, uh, this is the penitential psalm. This is where David gets right with God. 
the prophet comes, the prophet Nathan comes to Daniel or to David, and David has sinned, he's committed adultery, he has killed Uriah, and now the prophet comes and he puts his finger in David's face and says, Thou art the man. A year had passed. In before David gets things right. Now in Psalm 51, we find the, the, the outpouring of David's soul. And God has, God has allowed us to see that. Psalm 51 is a psalm that I give out in counsel. When somebody has made bad decisions and gone a wrong direction. And I tell them, just saying I won't do it again is not repentance. I try to get them to read this, this psalm here and to embrace it and to realize that is what should be the result of a godly repentance, a godly sorrow. Psalm 51, let's look at verse 1. We're going to read uh, down through verse 17. He says, have mercy upon me, O God, according to thy loving kindness, according unto the multitude of thy tender mercies, blot out my transgressions, wash me thoroughly from mine iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. David here is coming back to God, and this is not just, all right, okay, sorry, shouldn't have done that, it was a mistake. That's not what you see here. So he is, he is pouring himself out, verse 3, for I acknowledge my transgression and my sin is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight that thou mightest be justified when thou speakest and be clear when thou judgest. He's saying, God, you, your word is true, your word is just, and I am guilty before you. He said, there is no reason. He says, your judgment on me, your calling out my sin is absolutely justified. He said, what you have said, the, 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 the judgment that I have, he said, uh, he said that uh, you could be clear when thou judgest. There's nothing uh, that, that should be withheld on your side. He said, behold, I was shapen in iniquity and in sin did my mother conceive me. He's not talking about he was conceived in iniquity. He is talking about the sin nature of man. He's talking about he has been given a sin nature. Uh, he's not talking about an, an immoral uh, action with his mom. Uh, Behold, thou desirest truth in the inward parts, and in the hidden part thou shalt make me to know wisdom. Purge me with hyssop and I shall be clean. Wash me, and I shall be whiter than snow. What do we find here? This purge me with hyssop. It is going back to the, uh, the, uh, the blood atonement. This is going back to uh, the, the sacrifice, the Passover sacrifice, and, uh, and the killing of the lamb, and the catching of the blood, and taking that hyssop weed, and dipping it in the blood, and applying it on the doorpost, and on the lintel, uh, the, the, uh, the, the door header, there. And he's talking about, I need to be cleansed from my sin. He said, make me to hear joy and gladness. You know, backslidden people, they don't hear joy and gladness. 
I wonder where we are at when people can get up and sing the songs of God and we're more concerned about what's on our feed. Now, I know some of you have your phone out right now for your Bible. But I wonder. Parents, do you know what your teenagers are doing right now? Even adults, I'll walk by sometimes. I'll come in during Sunday school and I'll be checking on the different classes and I'll come in a little bit late. People got their phone out playing games during the Sunday school lesson. You know what that tells me? It tells me the things of God are not important. We, we, should, we should hear joy and gladness I mean, the songs that were just sung a few minutes ago, man alive, I'm ready to jump up and down. And I look out and some of you look like you're sleeping. And I know everybody's different. But where are we at? Do the things of God excite us? Does it bring joy? Does it bring gladness? Are we just board well I really just getting through this we'll get to the preaching and I'll get through it and then we'll we're good where are we at in our mind let's be honest David here is coming back and he's he is saying make me to hear joy and gladness why because he hasn't heard it for a while and if you're not hearing it for a while it's probably not anybody else Probably you. Should I hide? He said, Hide thy face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. Create in me a clean heart, O God, and renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from thy presence and take not thy Holy Spirit from me. Restore unto me the joy of thy salvation. Uh, the salvation that God has given us brings joy. It brings joy. You should have joy tonight. If you're saved, you should have joy. David's coming back. Why is he saying, restore to me the joy of my salva thy salvation? Because he lost it. He didn't lose his salvation, but he lost his joy. Uphold me with thy free spirit, then... Will I teach transgressors thy ways, and sinners shall be converted unto thee. Now notice this. David's sin kept him from witnessing. How can I go tell people about the Lord when I'm sinning against him? I didn't write it. 
Deliver me from blood guiltiness, O God, thou God of my salvation, and my tongue shall sing aloud of thy righteousness. O Lord, open thou my lips, and my mouth shall show forth thy praise, for thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. Thou delightest, delightest not in burnt offering. The sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. And here what do we find? We find David coming back. We find repentance in his life. Now, the sin that David is coming back from, we might not be guilty of. But that's what repentance looks like. Repentance is saying the same thing about our sin that God says about our sin. That confessing our sin uh, before him. So a clean heart and a right spirit, they go together. Not a bitter, angry spirit. That is not revealing repentance. What spirit do we project? What is it? We are projecting something. Every one of us. And we've got to make sure that what we are projecting is what the Lord would want us to project. But sometimes what we're projecting is revealing that there's something else going on. When I first got saved, music was before, before salvation, the music that I listened to was the devil's music. And I'd come to church and I got saved, but I'd hear church music and I kept thinking, this is horrible. This is terrible. Somebody would get up and, uh, and I, we've got one lady in the church, she would sing and she had a vibrato. It was a... It was an old person's vibrato. It wasn't, a, it wasn't a professional vibrato. It was just because they couldn't keep the note anymore. <laughs> uh, and, and here when they're, uh, she'd get up and sing and everybody, amen. And I'm thinking, oh me, this is horrible. We had a, a group come through, the, the Bob Wills singing family. Does anybody does anybody know who I'm talking? Brother Andy's shaking his head yes. All right, Dev and Mom Coates, no. But anyway, this, this family, they were from down south somewhere, and they were as hillbilly as hillbilly could be. And I listened to ACDC and Van Halen and uh, Iron Maiden, Black Sabbath. And so what they were singing and what I was used to was worlds apart. Mom and dad bought one of their albums. They were cassettes, all right? And these cassettes, they're about this big, and put them into a player deck. And so anyway, we had, we had this, uh, these, these uh, uh, cassettes, and I remember listening to those cassettes, trying to like the right kind of music. Because God convicted me about the wrong kind of music. 
And it didn't matter if we went to church, the pastor could be, uh, could be preaching on, on child rearing and motherhood. He could have been preaching, Mary had a little lamb, but all I heard was the Spirit of God saying, get rid of your music. He didn't have to say one thing, but the Spirit of God was working in my heart. Until I ripped all those posters off my wall, and I grabbed all those cassettes that I had, and I had a big brown paper bag filled with them. Brought them to church, and we had, after the service, a bunch of teenagers, we went out with the youth pastor and got a burn barrel going, uh, and I threw all my wrong music in that burn barrel. You know, God, God works in all of our hearts. And when he does... We should allow him the ability to put his finger on whatever it is in our life and let him change it. When we get to that spot where we are submitting to him, we find that that relationship can be restored. Psalm 51, 7, we see that restored relationship, that renewed spirit in 51, 10, the restored joy of salvation in 51, 12. Uh, notice here, God did not expect perfection. But when we sin, he does expect repentance. Repentance. Back in the 1800s, there were some preachers that had gotten together, George and John Wesley, George Whitfield. George Whitfield was the youngest of the three, but he was the one that had the best of the oratory skills and was able to preach and people would come. One time he, he decided he was wanting to go out and preach and he just put an invitation and 200 people showed up for him to preach outside in cold, nasty weather. I don't know if I would have been one of those 200. I like a nice warm building. But 200 people showed up. After 200 people showed up, he said, we'll go ahead and meet this same time next week and 2,000 people showed up. And within a few weeks, over 20,000 people were gathering to hear George Whitfield preach. Revival started to just spread. People began to come, and as George Whitfield would preach, he would watch and look out and see the coal miners who had to soot on their face as they came in for these meetings, still uh, dirty from being in the coal mine and just watching those tears roll down their face as they would get saved. That revival that spread, it went from England to America. You know, with revival, it starts with the person but it can change the world. 
We need revival in our hearts. We need revival in our homes. We need revival in our church. And we need revival in our country. But it's got to start with us. It goes back to that if. The pastor, I believe all of that. If I do those things. Conditional. Am I willing to do these things? You see, it's put into our our court. God allows it to be put on our side, but we have to do something with. The if isn't if God will, the if is if we will. So tonight, will we seek God? Will we humble ourselves? Will we pray? Will we turn from our wicked ways? Will we seek his face? Turn from our wicked ways? See, God gives us the recipe, but he leaves it in our side of the court. If, my people. So now it comes down to if, me. Are you one of God's people? Well, it got quiet. Nobody wanted to answer that. Are we one of God's people? Okay. If. Nobody can answer that for us but us. Father, I pray that you'd help us tonight. Thank you for your word and Lord, I love these people, and I know you do. I pray that, Lord, all of us will look into our life, into our soul, into our own being, and Lord, I know there are areas that I need to be to be the child of God you'd want me to be, and areas here that we've pointed out that I need to deal with. And so I pray that you would work now in each and every one of our lives, each each man, each woman, each child, each teenager. Lord, each individual, each family. Lord, I pray that you would help us. Lord, to come to a place where we are willing, ready to respond to this conditional statement that you have put in our court. So help us now, please. For Christ's sake, we pray. Amen. Let's